to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so happy that you are all here listening with me. So today's episode is actually a recording. I was a guest on another trainer's podcast, and this is our conversation. I was on Marissa Martino's podcast. She owns and runs Paws and Reward, which is based in Boulder, Colorado. And she is also the author of an awesome book called Human Canine Behavior Connection, we just have so much in common, and I think you guys are really going to dig our conversation about reactive dogs. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. I am thrilled to have Rachel Laurie Harris of A Good Feeling Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the show. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to connect with other Colorado trainers. I know. I was like, wow, she's in my backyard. This is great. Or I'm in your backyard. Either way. <laughs> I know. I know. So Rachel is a certified professional dog trainer, CPDTKA, and operates her private practice both virtually and in person in Colorado. She also runs an awesome online course called Reactive Redefined, which I love that name, helping pet parents support their, in quotes, reactive dogs. And no surprise, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. So Rachel, I know that you have two dogs super active with them on gram. We've got a really great, um, l- wonderful post on Instagram about giving them enrichment and making sure that you're meeting their needs and all the wonderful things that you've learned from them. And this is why we connected because I just felt like our messaging was really, um, relevant and resonant with one another. So speaking of your two dogs, Waylon and Tiva, correct? Yep. Can you tell me what your favorite things are about them? Oh my God. It's such a funny question, right? Because like, I think about my dogs day in and day out and I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with them, obviously, but it's so funny to like pinpoint my favorite things about them. But Tiva is 13 and a half. So like, I have so many favorite things because like, yeah, I mean, she's 13 and a half. We're hiking like 20 miles a week together. I'm like, okay, super mutt. You could live to like 19 if you want, but (laughs) We've been together for almost 14 years. So it's like, I feel like she's like my most trusted friend because Mm -hmm. she knows everything about me and she's seen me through (laughs) these crazy evolutions. But I think my favorite thing about Tiva is just her willingness and desire to engage with me. Like she's just, I'll look at her and she'll be like, oh, we're doing something. Okay, cool. I'm game. You know, just like that ultimate Mm -hmm. dog who makes you feel like super special because they always want to know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Like very seen, right? That's that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And then Waylon is my little free spirit. And I love that about him, right? Like he's just a, like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this, but he's also very intuitive, right? Like Mm -hmm. he, I always tell people he's an old soul inside of a young blocky headed body. Um, I think that's my favorite thing about him, right? Like he will go from just like blasting through the woods to like putting his head on my chest when I'm having a hard time. And like, I just, I dig that balance in a dog. 
That's awesome. Yeah, he um, his recall is awesome. I saw some videos of you guys out in the woods and it was it was it was pretty great. Oh, my God. Well, that's our passion, right? It's like, why mm -hmm. live in Colorado if you can't get out and hike with the dogs? And, uh, you know, Waylon is a free spirit. So giving him permission to be off leash did not come lightly. And we have worked so hard and it just makes me so proud to share, mm -hmm. like, you know, what we've accomplished together. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, like I mentioned, Rachel and I are going to be talking about reactivity. So, well, you know, that, that, that's a label, right? So before we get started, we do want to talk about what we mean when we say reactivity. So how are we defining this for the episode today? So, you know, reactivity is one of those like giant umbrella terms. And like, I, you know, I can't deny that there are troubles with like a big umbrella term like that, but for the purposes of this podcast, we're referring to dogs that are just a little extra, right? Maybe they're barking, they're pulling, they're lunging. Maybe they're just giving us more behavior than we would expect or want. Um, and that can be towards, you know, people, dogs, squirrels, skateboards. So, mm -hmm. you know, essentially dogs are just overreacting from our perspective, although obviously it's not overreacting from their perspective, but that's what I mean by reactivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate that you brought up that it's overreaction from our perspective, right? Because it's almost like um, telling somebody to relax when they're feeling stressed or something like that. Like in that moment, that person, you know, they find the, the environment is creating stress for them. They feel like that feeling is valid. They, they might feel like the expression is valid and same goes for our dog. So I appreciate you putting it in that perspective. Don't yeah. you also, oh, and so, so just on that, I think that this is important, right? For everyone listening, if you have a reactive dog, it feels like they're going over the top and you just want to be like, yo, just calm down. But I think that it's important for us to put ourselves in that situation. And like, I don't know about you, but if I'm having a hard time and someone tells me to calm down, that just adds fuel to my already like exaggerated emotions, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to remind ourselves that telling, tell you know, the metaphorical telling our dogs to calm down isn't effective. That's okay. We can get you through that. But yeah, I think that that's like a huge disconnect between people and the, and their reactive dogs, right? Is we just want them to calm down, but we don't look and ask them why they're overreacting in the first place. Yeah. And do you, you also use the word spicy too, right? Yes. I love that. So um, I cannot take credit for that. A, a colleague, Shauna, um, she, I learned spicy from her, but I think that it's just so representative of how it feels, mm -hmm. right? To own a dog who's just a little extra. And I think that it adds like a nice, uh, something we can smile and kind of laugh about yeah. and behaviors that otherwise are not super fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, a shelter in our area, actually, they label um, or they categorize their uh, kittens. And traditionally, they are young feral kittens as like mild, medium and hot <laughs> like based, based off of peppers, um, depending on how social or lack, they, lack thereof. And so I just, I like it because, I mean, we don't want to put any one animal or person into a box, but at the same time, right, it does give like a little bit of a lighter um, air about it, right? That like, like you said, we can smile a little bit, you know, this is not, I, I know like having a reactive dog is hard and let's have some humor in it, right? Like let's create some lightness. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it, you know, it gives us something 
palatable to describe our dog as to people who don't otherwise understand dog behavior very much. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think that it's a nice icebreaker for the human end. Right. When people are like, why is that dog having a meltdown right now? Right. Like, I think it's yeah. one of those things like they're just a little spicy. Right. Yeah, like- They're just a little extra right now. <laughs> yeah. yep. Just having a lot or like the, the, the very popular, like a lot of feelings, right. It's just got a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> exactly, it's like, yeah, exactly. I resonate with that. I have a ton of feelings. As well. <laughs> so, um, speaking of your course, so I, I had looked at your online course. It looks awesome. Like so much good information. The outline is incredible. And, um, I wanted to just like run through like basic or, you know, key skills that we think pet parents with reactive dogs should learn and get really fluent in, in order to help support their dogs. So what are some of the behaviors that you focus on teaching the pet parent in order for them to teach their dog? Yeah. So inside of reactive redefined, like we do the traditional, right? Like teaching training skills, but something that I think is unique in the program is that we really focus on the human end, Mm -hmm. right? Like prepping people and giving them some of like those emotional coping skills, right. And giving them Mm -hmm. permission to be like, it's totally fine to run away from another dog, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can do that. It's totally fine not to like go for walks where there are lots of people. So we really like to focus on skills on the human end. Right. And Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, being a reactive dog owner requires a lot, right? When you're out in the world, you got to be paying attention. And that's something we really try and coach our clients, right? And help them understand that, like, this ain't no leisurely stroll, right? Like, Mm -hmm. when you're out with your reactive dog, you have to be paying attention to the environment and you got to be ready. Like, if you're out in your neighborhood and, you know, like Gunther, the like super intense German Shepherd lives behind the fence, you got to know that detail and you got to be prepped and ready to plan for that. So I think it's just being aware of your environment, not being stressed. Like I, I don't want clients to be like overzealous about like constantly scanning, but mm-hmm. you know, just kind of having your wits about you and making sure that like, you're aware of what's going on in the environment so that you can, you know, insert some of the trained skills for the dog that we teach later in the course so that they can be successful. Yeah. And that point that you bring up in terms of you want them to be, you want them to have situational awareness, but you also don't want them to be stressed about it. And it's interesting. I will, there is sort of this, this time frame where when I'm working with reactive dog clients, they will, there's so much to juggle, right? They're like watching the dog, they're watching the environment. They're like learning these new training mechanics. They're, they, they've just figured out all the triggers and they're, they're, they're keeping their eyes out. Right. And there is this to be expected and in varying degrees, depending on your skill level or depending on your environment, there is this, this level of you're not fluent in all of these behaviors yet. And so it's going to feel uncomfortable and you are going to be a little bit stressed, right? And, and the more you practice in environments where you're less stressed, the, the more fluent you'll become in this. But I do have clients report like, okay, I'm really ready. I'm going out. And I almost feel like I'm more stressed than I was before I knew what to do with the situation, but it it really should only last for a short period of time if we're working on getting that client fluent. And I was curious to know if you also hear that from clients, if they're like, I'm feeling a little stressed. And then there's this eventual like, okay, like I understand my environment. I know Gunther lives behind the thing. I know how to do an emergency turn, right? So I'm just curious if you have that experience as well. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's something we really focus on is like the realities of like prepping people. Like, listen, your dog is going to lunge. People are going to be looking. You're going to feel embarrassed, right? Like Mm -hmm. those situations, unfortunately, are inevitable because we don't live in vacuums, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't control every aspect of what's happening out in the world. And I think just normalizing the reality of like, you're going to get taken by surprise. Your dog Mm -hmm. is going to go over threshold. That's okay. You don't have to go over threshold with them. Right. And I think that, right. And you know, we, we require a lot of videos, right? Like we want to see what they're out there doing. We want to go on those virtual walks with them. And something that has been really interesting, like through all the groups that have gone through reactive redefined is that when they go back and watch the videos of the dogs reacting, they're so surprised at how small the reaction looks on video right? Because they live it in the moment Mm -hmm. and it feels like this huge explosion and it feels like everyone is looking at them. And like, that's been a really cool unintended like outcome, right? Of of them taking so much video is that they get to go and be like, man, it was just one bark. Like it wasn't even that crazy. Right. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's just getting that outside perspective and taking some of like that adrenaline surge out of the equation Mm -hmm. so that we can evaluate it for what it really is. Yeah. I love that. Like what a great objective way to look at it because right. You're in the moment, handling the leash, trying to remember all the things and making sure that you don't drop the leash or whatever. And that's such a great way. And I, I have to ask, cause I'm curious and I'm curious if listeners will also be curious Do you have them, how do you have them film it? Are they doing it a GoPro or are they having like friends and family or what, or what happens? So, you know, we kind of have a spectrum. So a lot of people have like friends or or family or or their partners walk Mm -hmm. with them and like record. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have tripods they set up. And then, you know, we have some like diehards who will like manage the leash, feed the cookies and man the phone. Like, it's incredible. I'm like, we all have major multitasking skills, but we kind of of get a wide scope of videos. And Uh honestly, like I really can see a lot from all of those. So that's been something cool too, you know? And there mm-hmm. are people who have GoPros that they got the fancy setups. And then we just got, you know, the folks who just have their phone and they're just doing their best to get footage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's not an easy thing. I always tell people like, please don't sacrifice your phone for the videos. I do yeah. want to see what's happening, but don't put yourself <laughs> in harm's true. way. <laughs> Very true. Um, I think there's um somebody that I follow on Instagram, Dax, the angry yeah. dog. Do, yeah. I think it's the angry dog, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um, and she is so great. She's got like, so I wound up purchasing one of those things where you, it, it's like a, it's like a front chest, uh, phone holder and it's been so cool, but it's been like, I mean, I had to figure out how to do it and I was taking some videos just to see, but, um, that's a great way to be hands-free. Your phone is secure and it's coming with you. Right. So that you don't have to worry about a tripod, but shout out to Dax, the angry dog and right? Is it, is it the, yeah, that's right. right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Okay. Um, and to, I don't even know, I'll, I'll link to that in our show notes and send you the information as well. It's pretty fun. It's like 20 bucks, right? All the gear, <laughs> all the, all the gear. Okay, great. So really focusing on the people aspect to start off, right? Sort of laying that foundation for sure. And then what are some key skills that you think, all reactive dogs should know in order to be successful managing their environment? I mean, just as a baseline, like a lot of the dogs that come into the program aren't fluently eating food outside yet. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that is a huge barrier to entry, right? Like a lot of my clients have like, we tried going out with treats. The dog won't eat the food. We don't mm-hmm. know. And like, that's something that we troubleshoot together, right? Is like, how can we get the dog taking food as a baseline? Right. Mm-hmm. And not that they always have to be taking food. Obviously it's helpful. We have other solutions, but like that's, it's a really simple foundational step that not all dogs have. So like, first and foremost, we make sure that the dog is fluent at taking food outside. And we work on two aspects of that, right? right? A mark and take the food to the mouth and then a mark and a cue to get it off the ground. And like, Mm -hmm. it seems simple, but if the dog can consistently eat treats off the ground, that is a baseline could be a really, really useful skill for a reactive dog. Yes. And when you are talking with clients and, um, you know, trying to figure out why they, the dog is not eating, whether it's stressed or whether or not they're not using the right value of treat or so on and so forth. What do you traditionally find is the reason the dog is not eating is, is it that they're using lower value or is it that it's too stressful? It's too stressful, right? Like people are smart. They get it, bring good stuff. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's why it's even more challenging on the human end because they feel like they showed up, right? Like they cut the hot dogs, they've got the good stuff and the dog still won't take it. And, you know, I don't have exact numbers on this, but like a a large percentage of the dogs in our program are also working in conjunction with the veterinary behaviorist, right? Like a lot Mm -hmm. of times it is a it is so much more than the, the scope of what we do in the course, right? Like it's really like a mm-hmm. brain misfiring thing. So mm-hmm. um, it's been really cool, right? To see that and people all over the country, right? That are in the hands of amazing veterinary behaviorists. And we just get to support them in kind of like the realities of the day today, not like mm-hmm. the broad scope of, of meds and all of that. Yeah. That's so great that there's so many people out there that are working with veterinary behaviorists and being able to give the dog like access to think and make different choices and eat food and regulate his or her nervous system. Like, I mean, it's, it's just so great to hear that there are, you know, it's becoming more and more of an option for people, which is great for sure. And like, it's, it's been a really fun thing to see like in the group calls, right? So we run it as a group coaching program. So we meet virtually and, you know, everybody's together. And like, Mm -hmm. I think just the camaraderie of knowing that like, it wasn't their fault. They did nothing to make, make their dog the way that they are, but the meds are helping and they have that support. And I think, you know, there's that element of shame, right? We feel like Mm -hmm. we've done something wrong. Like, what did we do to this dog to make them need behavior modification to be successful? And like, So much of that is just helping people understand, like, not you, right? Just the dog's brain. We're going to troubleshoot that. We're going to work on your skill set and we're going to get you there, right? Like, we really try and empower our clients to not focus on that stuff, right? Because they can't change Mm -hmm. that, right? And and who cares? The dog is who Yeah, and if it's working, like, great. Like, if it's working and everyone's less stressed, like, use what we got. Win for everyone. Yeah, exactly. So um, some other skills that you think are really important. So eating number one, right? And then what, now that the dog's eating, what are some other of your favorite? Cause there's so many different prototypes out there, right? Like, oh my gosh, there's so many, right? So and there's many. no one size fits all. So in the exactly. program, we cover like 10 different skills with the intention of, we know that they're not all going to fit everyone's needs. Right. Mm -hmm. But as a general practice, one of the skills that we teach to almost all the dogs in the program is just 
attention walking, right? Can mm-hmm. you walk at my side? Can you eat treats? Can you generally pay attention to me and keep a loose leash? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the dogs that come into our program when they're out on walks are just so used to being over threshold at the end of the leash. When we kind of help them understand, like, if you offer your attention, you just get cookies for that. And you start to see mm-hmm. the dogs like week after week, like offering those check-ins, you know, matching mm-hmm. the, the, the guardian's pace. And like, mm-hmm. it's a really simple behavior and we don't formalize it. Right. We, we help clients understand that it doesn't have to be a heel, right. It's, can the dog walk with you? How can that apply to your real life situation? But you know, I think it's a good skill set, obviously for every dog, but the reactive dogs that are likely to go over threshold environments, if they have more of a reinforcement history for just orienting to their owner, walking with them, it's just going to make the owner's job so much easier, right? Yes. Instead of like reining in this fucking Bronco, yes. the dog's already close, already eating food. And that gives the human a chance to be like, okay, what do we do here? Right. Uh-huh. Like that, that almost creates the pause that we need so that the human can be like, all right. And a lot of my clients are like, we hear you in our heads. It's like, you're on our shoulder telling us what to do when we're out on our walks, which is, you know, <laughs> awesome. what a flattering thing to say, you know, like, I'm so glad that they can be like, okay, Rachel told me to take a breath and do a U-turn. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I love dogs, but I equally love people. So yes. like, I, I really, I really trying to empower my clients. Like, you need a second to just breathe, do that. Yeah. Then act accordingly. Like that's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I feel like too, it's um how I usually put it with my clients is that like you walk outside and then you just both disconnect from one another and either you're sort of holding your breath, like you said, waiting for something to happen. The dog is scanning the environment. It's like by the time, like, just like you said, by the time something, you know, comes into the environment, the two of you are just ready to lose your minds about it. Right. And instead of having that, that dialogue, um, and staying connected, it's like, Hey, we're a team we're together. I'm going to, you know, engage you and, and I'm going to be talking to you the whole time we're on this walk versus only trying to talk to you when something scary comes into the environment. It's like the likelihood of the dog orienting to us is a lot lower than in my experience. Yeah. And like, it doesn't come natural, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like as humans, we're very prone to like only ask for the dog's attention when like a lot is going on. Yes. Yes. And like, that's okay. Uh Right. But we, I think a lot of my clients recognize that like they've been missing a ton of opportunities Mm -hmm. to reinforce their dog choosing them in the environment. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, it's so that connection element, like, yes, is the dog walking at the side, but like we're not after like super formal behaviors. Like we're mm-hmm. after like, can you and the dog like successfully chat with one another on the yeah. walk, regardless mm-hmm. of what's going on? Like that's the ultimate goal. Right. And you know, it's, there's, there's just, there are, there are a ton of useful skills for reactive dogs, but like, that's the baseline we're after, right? Like out on walks, can the human recognize when the dog is offering their attention and can we make it super reinforcing for the dog to do that? Yeah. I want to add one, one particular thing that I love, and maybe I'm just because I love it so much, but I, I find it's really, really helpful is teaching the dog nose work. So, and I use the boxes. So I, and we do it in a really low distraction environment. And we teach the dog that the boxes will always have food inside. And then we, you know, there's so many different ways that we can 
arrange it to make it slightly harder. We could make the search area larger. We could be starting to place it outside the boxes. But for the most part, what I do is I have my clients really focus on teaching the dog to nose to the ground in the boxes. And we, we might transition it to the backyard, to the front yard, but it really has helped a lot of my, my clients that have been the second they step out that front door, they are just scanning the environment and it's just giving them something else to do. And then sometimes we'll bring the boxes to other locations that we're training at as like training wheels, like we're in a new location and it's okay. And Oh, here's something that you already know. It's, it's boxes and nose work and just giving them that like natural dog behavior that's reinforcing for them as an opportunity for them to drop into the environment in a more successful way. And then we will sort of step away and start to do some of the training, but it is really just sort of, um, yeah, I call it like training wheels and it's been really successful because it sort of changes how the dog orients to the space. I don't yeah. know if you're curious if you, if yeah. you use and, that. And I feel like, you know, just exploiting what we know about the fact that like, if the dog's head goes down, yeah. you're also getting a lower heart rate, right? Like, mm-hmm. My clients are so funny. They're like, are you full of shit? I'm like, I mean, you could look it up. You could just believe me or you could look it up. Like people don't yeah. believe me, but yes, I love that. Right. Like, I think there's so many creative solutions to engage. Like, can you put your nose down? Can you sniff? Can you mm-hmm. look for food? And like nose work is beautiful for that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think even just like as an informal version of that, just doing like treat scatters, just right. Scatter like, food, yeah. Can you eat cookies off the ground right now? Right. And like such a beautiful bridge, right. To like, we're in this new space you know, we're observing tense body language. We're seeing that the dog is, you know, hovering in the threshold zone. Hey, can you go and eat some cookies? And like, again, yes, we're getting that from the dog, but then that gives the human a chance to be like, cool. We're here. Yes. Okay. I've got everything I need. I've got everything ready. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's so many things that like, obviously we focus on the dog, but there's a lot of good stuff that happens for the human too. Right. And it's reinforcing to see your dog do something besides scan the environment and <laughs> lunge and bark at things. Yes. That is so true. Right. It's like, it's, it's so lovely to watch a dog like forage for food, right? Like, oh, you're being a dog. Great. You're not reacting and you're not scanning and you're not actively stressed. Awesome. You're right. I didn't realize that it was also pretty reinforcing for us as well. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where I see clients, we have, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of space in and around Boulder and we're really fortunate for that. And I, um, am very aware that not everybody has that. Um, and you're in Denver, so you're yes. seeing some in-person clients. Um, and sometimes that can be challenging with like high rise apartments and things of that nature. So I just wanted us to, to spend a moment just talking about creative solutions to adjust the environment so that you can train because we we understand that there are some environments that like, it is really, really hard for people to even like take their dogs out to potty them, um, let alone try to do a setup or try to do some training on the fly in that environment. So can you speak to a few creative solutions around that? Absolutely. So, you know, if you are listening and you have a reactive dog and you live in a busy place, like shout out to you, like it is not an easy thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. owning a dog in a really busy, like densely populated urban environment is already challenging. And then you add a dog who will like likely go over the top, like we feel for you. So, um, a couple of things. So I think that 
in the like apartment building setting, I think that there's a lot of really creative options. So um, balconies, right? Balconies mm-hmm. are great places to train and you have the luxury of, you can go out, do a little bit of training, go right back into the apartment, yep. right? So you have that like out. And I, I find that that is really important for not only dogs who are just like so quick to go over threshold, but owners who are exhausted from Mm -hmm. being attached to the leash of that dog who is constantly going over threshold, right? Like it's those baby wins. Um, Something else that's been like a really cool setup is just um, hanging out in like hallways and hearing things, right? Mm -hmm. And then again, you have that same option, right? We can just dip right back into the apartment if necessary. Um, A lot of my clients that live in apartments have dogs who are dog reactive and like the other dogs are obviously barking in apartments. So like, it's Mm -hmm. a really easy, like we're going to go out the door, we're going to eat some cookies and hear some dogs. And then we're going to go right back in Mm -hmm. as an, an, as an unintended consequence, we're kind of breaking down that like emotional experience of going out the door and knowing that there may be going like a lot going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Like kind of breaking down that, like, okay, going out the door, isn't going to send the dog over the edge. Yeah. Right. Um, Speaking of of dogs barking. Okay. I think he took over. (laughs) (laughs) Some other creative solutions I think are, you know, leaving that busy environment, right? Like Mm -hmm. thankfully a lot of my clients who live in busy environments have cars, right? So I think that that's another thing. Like, don't feel like you have to like muddle through the busy, like crazy neighborhood walks all the time. Right. And like a lot of clients, I just, I'm like, we take that off the table. I'm like, listen, you can go out for those potty breaks that you need to get the dog out for. But if you're going out for an extended amount of time, the neighborhood ain't the place to be right. Because there's only so much progress we can make when the dog is constantly bombarded with things that are flooding them with emotions, right? Like that's just stimulus overload. So, you know, I think just remembering that if you live in a busy place and there's a lot going on, get out of that busy place, go Mm -hmm. somewhere quieter, right? Like seek out those neighborhood parks that you didn't know exist in the burbs, right? Like go Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, we, we understand if you have a young dog, right? You want to be able to give them the exercise that they need, but we're almost asking you to reframe how you're thinking about that exercise, right? Cause that could, that could include like significant amounts of enrichment inside the house could include doing some nose work in the front could include, um, you know, like Rachel saying is get in the car and go somewhere else. And because that walk that you're going on where the dog is barking and lunging and you're stressed and here, he or she is stressed, like that's not enriching and probably meeting his needs anyway. Right. So getting really creative with like, what other spaces do you have, whether it's in a backyard or a balcony or the garage, whatever it is that you can provide enrichment to your dog, relieve them for potty breaks, um, but also meet their needs in, in, in some, in a different creative way. Yeah. And like, you know, there are some tools, right? Like obviously the behavior meds are like a lifeline Mm -hmm. for a lot of dogs in those situations where we can't change the environment, right? All we can do is do the best that we can. Um, There's a product, it's called a calming cap and it's, it looks like a, like a, a thing you would put on a horse to prevent flies. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, that takes a little bit of conditioning, right? In the, the early stages, but that's like another thing that's acted as a giant bridge for a lot of my client dogs, right? Like, you know, and it looks ridiculous. And I think at first people are like, I'm supposed to put this thing on my dog, but then mm-hmm. it's like, they go out and the dog isn't like immediately over threshold. So like, there are some options yes. for the, like, we can't change the environment, but you know, that's something that that's where, where I like to be the secondary, right? Like mm-hmm. you in with the veterinary behaviorist who can give you what you need. And then let's, let's apply some of the practical tools. Yeah. And you're, you're making me think even like, you know, making sure that there's, there's, there's nothing pain related. There's nothing medical related, right? Like we, it's not just that one time in that one moment, it could be a result of a variety of things that are contributing and making sure to rule all that out is really important. And if you're working with a veterinarian or you're working with a vet behaviorist, likely they're going to be asking those questions and helping you to rule those things out as well. Yeah. And like something else that I suggest to like a lot of my reactive dogs, um, obviously not dogs who are human reactive initially, but is body work, right? Massage, chiropractic, acupuncture, because, Mm -hmm. you know, dogs who are reactive, they don't come to me because they've been reactive for a week, right? They come to me because they've been reactive for an extended amount of time. And like, we can't deny that that is, they're hanging on to that in the physical body, Mm -hmm. right? So like, that's another like outside source that like, you know, I'm just a part of the team for the dog. Right. And I don't pretend to be everything for the dog, but you know, I've seen some pretty remarkable stuff happen when dogs get to literally let go of that stuff they've been carrying. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and obviously I'm not a veterinarian, but you know, chiropractic is one that like has been night and day, night and day. Right. Like Like they just get to all that tension Mm -hmm. they've been holding on to. Like, it's remarkable to see that. So there's so Mm -hmm. many options outside of the, like, we're just going to train the dog. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. This is such good information. Thank you. I think one of the things that we, we wanted to really cover, um, in terms of, so what are some of the key mechanical skills or handling skills that you, that you focus on teaching the human? Yeah. So like, you know, we talk about body language and like so much depth and like the cool Mm -hmm. dynamic about like the virtual program that we do is that like in the zoom calls, we literally just go through and watch body language videos of every single dog. And, you know, there's like the general premise of body language that I think, you know, we can teach generally speaking, but what's been really cool is to like help guardians understand like their individual dog and like just because their ears are back, maybe it doesn't mean that. Right. But I think Mm -hmm. that for all of the, you know, reactive guardians listening, that's why those videos are so important because you can go in and you can watch that body language. And like something that's been interesting is that like a lot of dogs have come into the program and the owners feel like the dog is fearful, right? Like they think that that's the reason for the reactivity. And then we go back in and we watch the body language and we understand that it's, it's not really a fear thing. It's, it's more of a, like, (laughs) a desperation thing. Like, let me go over to that dog right now. Please stop pulling me away from the dog. Right. So I think body language is one of those skills for the human that you need to get really keenly aware, not just of general body language, but your individual dog. Right. And looking at the whole picture, the ears are doing this, the tail is doing that, right. They're moving this way. And I think that, you know, body language is definitely first and foremost, 
Um, but then we also focus on like the literal mechanics, right? Of you got to have your treat pouch on, you got to know how to hold the leash. You got to know how to deliver the treat quickly. Something I, I teach my students is a leash handling technique for those, um, you know, less than ideal such situations. So essentially it's sliding their hand down the leash and giving the dog as little leash as possible, because all we're going to be able to do is muscle the dog past their trigger. And then when the dog is mm-hmm. past the trigger, we let the leash go. And then we've got our cookie and we're ready to reinforce for any disengagement from the trigger. And it's like a super simple skill, but I think that we have to remind ourselves that preventing the dog from going over threshold is a wonderful goal, but it's not realistic in in, in real life, right? But um, yeah, I think that the the leash handling of like, we're just going to give the dog as little leash as we can. We're not going to let them make the choice to lunge across us right now. But when we're past the trigger, then we're going to give the dog the leash back and see what choices they're capable of making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, leash handling is huge because it's like some people naturally get it and other people like the dog is so far away from them or they're walking them on like a six or eight foot leash. And it's like, you know, to try to get the dog to engage with them is so hard, um, because there's, because they're, they're far away. And so, yeah, being able to sort of rein the dog in, rein the dog out and, and making good choices so that you're, you're as slack as possible. But like you said, in situations where you're like, okay, this is going to go South real fast. (laughs) What is my exit strategy? Right. Because you're right. That is going to happen. And so preparing our clients for that emotionally and, and physically, right? Like having my clients like, Oh, all right. So I'm approaching now I'm a dog. Show me, show me how to get out of there. Right. So that you, that they, they had that exit strategy available like in their physical body as well. Yeah. And like, you know, speaking of the physical body, we talk a lot about our motion and our directional cues that we don't even really think about. So, you know, there's a lot of emotional reasons for reactivity in dogs, but a lot of the dogs that come into reactive redefined are quite dog social. And it's really more of like a frustration thing, right? Like, why can I not get to that dog? And something that we dissect in the videos is that the, the, the handler, right, is walking towards the dog and their dog thinks they're going to say hi, right? And then they take the greeting off the table, cue reaction, right? So helping our dog understand like what I'm sorry, helping our clients understand what the dogs are perceiving about what their body language is doing, the human's body language, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think we're very aware of like our shoulders going this way. We're walking one direction, the pace in which we're watching, walking, right? Like it's a super simple skill, but it's really impactful when we can realize that like the dog is confused. We're walking right towards the dog. And then all of a sudden we take the greeting off of the table. Of course, the dog is going over threshold, Mm -hmm. right? Like what can we do with your body language to the dog doesn't think we're going to say hi to fluffy over there. Right. So just being really aware of like the, the cues that our bodies give, whether we're conscious of them or not. Yeah. Which is like why filming is so epic. Right. And it's, (laughs) and, and slowing it down is so important. I mean, I just the other day I was I'm, I'm in a training course with my dog and I've been, um, filming myself training, which is so great. And also like making a ton of mistakes and this is our profession. Right. Um, and the other day I was looking at, um, a client's video of two dogs playing and I like, I had to go frame by frame 
And I'm like, oh, wow, I would have totally missed that if I watched this in real time. And so I think slowing things down is so important and such a great way for you to see like, oh, wow, when I'm doing this and, and this, and you have that objective view. I, I so love that. Like if that's the one takeaway for everyone today, like that would be great to just film yourself, film your dog, slow it down and get curious about what's, what's actually happening. Yeah. And like something we really push in the course, right. Is like collecting information, right. We're just collecting mm -hmm. information about like, this is what happened. And oftentimes my clients will tell me it happens out of nowhere, right. It's random. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand it. And like, I hear that, like, I hear that on the surface because like, until we dig deeper, it does feel like that. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's another reason the videos are important, right? Because we're watching those subtle things happen and realizing that it makes plenty of sense to the dog's mind, right? Like, you know, they're not just reacting for no reason and, and that data collection is really important. Right. So we can let go of like that, that it happens out of nowhere. It's so random because like that story doesn't serve anyone. It's not getting yeah, it doesn't. the outcome, right? Like mm -hmm. it's just a, an excuse at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes, everyone recording yourself, training your reactive dog is very important. Very important. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, the human element and the stories we create and all the things like this is an emotional process for a lot of people. And, um, this is why I wanted to reach out to Rachel because I think she gets it. And I think she also really is highlighting that talking about it, acknowledging it, um, setting those expectations, that, like it's going to be hard at times. And I think that's really important for clients to know and how we can support our reactive dog clients during this process. Cause yeah, it's, there's some hard days. We get it. So um, what are some of the other topics outside of the ones that you've already addressed that you talk to reactive dog clients about in order to help support them? So, you know, a big thing we touch on is letting go of what other people think of our dog's behavior, <laughs> right? Like we put so much energy into that, right? And it's exhausting. And I think that, you know, while it is the modern age of dog training, there's still this like weird archetype that won't leave, right? That like a dog is supposed to walk perfectly next to you, mm -hmm. not bark at things. And something we really focus on is just like celebrating the individual dog and recognizing that like, you know, I have a, a wonderful team in the course and they have a Sheltie and they understand all of her Sheltiness, right? And like our initial conversation was like, we're not getting rid of the barking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're changing the emotional drive for the barking. Right. And like, we have to celebrate the individual dog, what their motivations are, what their genetic makeup is. And it's hard. It is hard to be like holding a dog who is going crazy and knowing that people are looking at you and judging you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what we try to empower our clients to do is let go, put no energy or weight into what other people think. You got to celebrate your dog. You're on this journey. I want you to have tunnel vision about your dog, the wins that they had in that moment and forget whatever everyone else is thinking about your dog's behavior. And like, it's not an easy thing, right? Like yeah. we're, we're all working through that, but I think just giving people permission to like, it's okay for your dog to bark at another dog if they charge you, right? Like yeah. that's a completely acceptable response. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that's where I'm very different from a lot of like trainers in the field is that like, you know, if you have a dog who is reactive to dogs and the dog gets charged and your dog reacts, like that's not a win. That's just normal life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and just 
being honest about like, it's acceptable for your dog to have emotions. It's acceptable for your dog to feel like they got to bark and lunge sometimes. That's fine. Can we work to help them feel better in the environment so they don't have to resort to that? For sure. But like, it's not unacceptable for your dog to react to something that deserves a reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, they're sentient beings, right? They're emotional and these are really normal dog behaviors. But I like what you're saying in terms of saying, like, yes, we can help them, but we're going to reduce the probability of that behavior. But sometimes that behavior is going to come out and sometimes it's really appropriate, right? We're not, we're not fixing anything or eradicating this behavior option or behavior choice from the dog. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And like something else we really highlight in the course, right? So like in the group calls, we start every, every week with like a round Robin, we hear a win and a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So we always focus on like, what was a win this week? What's a challenge, making sure they have tangible steps. But in those wins, we help our clients understand that like, okay, the dog went over threshold, the dog had a, a reaction, but they shook off within three seconds and then re-engaged with you. Yeah, that is a yeah. win. Yeah. That's right. And like, I think that once we focus on celebrating that small stuff and helping our clients understand that, like, those are actually wins, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. that is the measure of progress. You start to see just a huge shift, right. And like the team and and the person being like, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, they had a reaction, but they recovered and they checked in with me right afterwards. And then they took food and they were engaged with me after, right. Like those are, those are real life successes. Those are the real goals there. Right. And like, you know, each dog is an individual, each human is an individual. And like, we never promise the dogs are going to not react. Right. Like that, that's not the goal of the program. The goal of the program is to give you the skill set that you can take for the rest of your dog's life. Right. And, and realizing that it's never a fixed point in time. It's always the long game. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that you guys are starting your calls off with wins and challenges because it's, it's giving space for both, right? It is, it's giving space for folks to, um, you know, to cultivate and shape them to talk about something positive that happened and training them to notice that, but it's also giving them permission to like air some challenge that they've experienced. And I would imagine that it's, probably really comforting and healing for the other people to hear that as well. Like I know a lot of reactive dog clients that also are in like reactive dog groups or they have a friend that has a reactive dog, like, or they're talking to me about it, like that they, they have that support network that they're not alone. And that reminder that they're not alone. Like, I feel like that's just like half the battle really. So I think it's feeling heard. Right. Mm-hmm. And like people who get the, like, you know, Joe Schmo who thinks he's the dog whisperer who compromised a training outing for you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just having those conversations and like, you know, it gets emotional, right? Like we, there's tears and calls and like, that's intentional that we've created a safe place where people mm-hmm. can be honest and vulnerable and they like, let it go in the call. Right. So yeah. that when they leave the call, they don't have to carry that emotional weight anymore. Yeah. It's awesome. Anything else that you want to share before we, you know, I think that all the reactive dog guardians who are listening right now, you know, I, I hope that you feel heard in this episode, right. Mm-hmm. And, and supported and knowing that it's possible, right. Like you and your dog can thrive and live your best lives together, right. Like yeah. it's absolutely possible. It's not easy. It's not a straight trajectory, mm-hmm. but 
get support, right, from a positive reinforcement professional. Um, you know, I've been training reactive dogs for the last 10 years, and I always say that it's my favorite topic. I'm like, yeah. let's talk about reactive dogs day in and day out. So don't be like you have to know it all, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, hire someone who knows a lot that can just expedite the training process for yes. you. Yes, yes. And, and hold you throughout that process, right? Be able to be a support network and, and get the, get your questions answered. Yeah. And like, I mean, just as, as a last note, please let go of the shame. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Your dog is who they are. You can, you can work on being better as a team together. Um, but yeah, let go of the shame. It's not your fault. Yeah. It's, and like you said earlier, it just, we go down and we go down the shame, the shame spiral and we don't, it doesn't help us move forward. I mean, like sometimes I'll allow myself like, okay, you can, you can experience shame for a minute and then we're going to move on. Right. It's like, that's a normal reaction too. And it's not really helpful, but, but I'll let you do it. You want to like beat up on yourself for a minute and then let's move on. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for being here. Really appreciate you and your perspective. Yeah, it's it's a total delight. It's so cool to be able to collaborate with um, someone who we just have so much in common. Yeah, awesome. So I'm Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward in Boulder, Colorado, and you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. All right, everybody. I know that CBD is a hot topic and rightfully so. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding CBD, but I tell you what, there's a lot of pretty amazing evidence for how amazing CBD can be for not only humans, but also for our pets. Uh, The ladies at VetCS were on the podcast recently. It was episode 148. Give it a listen. You will learn a lot. Um, But I use VetCS products for me. I use VetCS products for the dogs. And I tell you what, Tiva, as she ages, the CBD is just amazing for her arthritis. And Waylon greatly benefits from the CBD too. So if you've been considering CBD for you or for your pet, check out VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.